Hey guys, this is Chelsea Schaefer and this is The Score. This is the Team Roping Journal's venture into the world of podcasting. On this show, you'll be able to bring the Team Roping world's movers and shakers on the road or to the office with you. They'll be telling stories and talking through some of the issues facing this sport. As the editor of the Team Roping Journal, I'll be your host. I am going to start off today with some news before we get into Trevor's interview. First and foremost, I want to congratulate Ryan Motes, uh, the four-time NFR qualifying healer and reserve world champion in 2015, on rolling over the $1 million mark in career earnings. Ryan has always opened his home to the staff at the, the Team Roping Journal and Spin to Win uh, from before. And we've done, I believe, three photo shoots at his house. He lets us stay in a spare bedroom. He makes sure that we need nothing. He keeps the arena and the cattle in absolutely perfect condition and lets us run a ton of steers at his house. So thank you, Ryan, and congratulations on hitting that million-dollar mark earlier this month. Secondly, I want to make sure you all have looked at page 91 of the April issue of the Team Rope and Journal. Uh, Denny Gentry goes over some information about the classification system and changes to triad. I am not going to spoil anything here if you haven't read it, um, and I'm not going to speak out of turn, but I just want to make sure you all know that Denny and Carl Stressman both have letters in the back of every issue of the Team Wrapping Journal, and it's a really, really important source of information for the membership of the USTRC and the World Series, so... Do not just skip that over because it's in the event ad section. Definitely take a look at it. You're also going to notice on page 108 that Carl announces that there will be $100,000 added to the Junior NFR in Las Vegas. The Junior NFR is going to be in its third year, and there will be over 100 qualifiers for it this year. There will be a guaranteed payout of $50,000 between the Open and Junior Division at the National Finals of Team Roping, which will lead up to the Junior NFR in Las Vegas. So check out page 108 for more details. There's also information on the number seven qualifiers that the USTRC will be hosting. So definitely take a minute, check out all of that in the April issue, and then look forward to the May issue. We just sent May to press. It's got 178 pages of Team Roping content plus 44 pages of a BFI program. Guys, this is one of the biggest magazines our company's ever put out. Definitely the biggest team roping magazine we've ever put out. And we're really excited about all the stuff that's in it. I think it speaks volumes for how thriving the sport of team roping is and how great all of you are as an audience because people want to talk to you. They want to give you information, and I sure appreciate it. And now I'm going to leave you all with our interview with 23-time world champion Trevor Brazil. We sat down with him on a Sunday morning before the short round of the Cinch Time Event Championship, and he was very open to trying this new venture with us, as he's always been. So thank you, Trevor, and thank you for your time. And everybody, I hope you enjoy it. You're really media savvy. Were you always... Social media, mainly. Yes, social media. (laughs) Definitely in the social media department. Were you always so media savvy? I mean, I really don't know what qualifies me to be media savvy. You talk to people, and you don't seem to shy away from being honest. I heard something said one time that people would rather follow somebody real than somebody that's always right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people... I think over the years I've learned that they've got just as much 
or more out of knowing that I screw up, I mess up, I miss it, I fall off, I do whatever. You know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. as embarrassing as it is, if it makes them makes them feel better, makes them feel more comfortable about wherever they're at and their road and team roping or tight on whatever event it is, then it may do more than uh, instructional video. When you were a, just like a five-time world champ, for example, were you more... <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Start. Sorry, so sorry were... to all you know, four-time world champs out there when she said, I'm just a five-time world champ. <laughs> when you were just a five-time world champ, were you more maybe defensive about your vulnerabilities or did, did you kind of you know yeah yeah definitely um i think that comes from i mean at some point you're less like what are they gonna say you mm-hmm. know if i have a chance to make somebody feel good at my expense it's worth it because i'm just a 23 <laughs> like you like you say <laughs> That's funny. Because I guess once upon a time, somebody said, like, Trevor really, somebody said to me, Trevor really needs to open up, and then boom, kind of all of a sudden you did. Was your TV show, did that kind of, like, break you out of your shell, or were you open before your TV show? I've I've always been really open in certain areas uh, with certain people, but I've also felt like I've always had a, a obligation to my sponsors mm-hmm. to, to represent them the way they feel like they should be represented, not the way I feel like they should be represented. And so that had was a lot, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the responsibility of the sponsors that believed in me and that I was representing. I took it serious, and that kept me really politically correct for a long time. Not that I don't appreciate it anymore, but a lot of it are my brands, and I feel like they're my customers, and I feel like they're my you know, people, and I just want to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, there have been a lot of big partner shakeups in the last couple months. Should there be like a <clears throat> pro rodeo code of ethics in the partner swap department? Do you think people? You know, it polices itself. Anybody that ropes good should know that they're going to be here for a while. But everybody's done it. Everybody's made bad decisions. Everybody's done things too hastily and been selfish in their reasoning. But I think you learn from it. I think it's part of the process, and hopefully it gets better. But uh, it definitely comes back to get you, if if not, it always does. Do you and Patrick still do the promise each other one full year at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I just I just think that's the only way to reach that's the only way to reach full potential in a team mm-hmm. because it's so hard to go to work knowing your job's on the line because then not only are you have that added pressure on you every time you rope, but you're also kind of looking to see what's available because you never know if if you get cut, what are you going to do yeah. then? So I don't I think it it hinders teams and partners from being able to be their best but i also understand that guys in theory should rope good together and do good and sometimes it doesn't work and if it's mutual whatever you know but usually by that time it's really hard to recover anyway 
So, you talk about the future of rodeo, and you used to talk about it more. Do you see a... Do you think rodeo can continue as it is? Or, like, okay. Featured rodeo scares the crap out of me. Do you think there will be... If there's not growth, do you think there will be a decline? Do you think rodeo can maintain within the small circle that it is? Well, I'll, I'll add... Learn from living so far as nothing stays the same. Mm-hmm. So, you better be growing. It may feel like it's staying the same when it's growing, but mm. that's the only option. I guess I think about team roping, and it seems like amateur team roping is doing... I'm, pr- I'm, I'm so proud of the sport of team roping, but I still feel that they go hand in hand, that one, one's necessary for the other. Mm-hmm. And all the team ropers out there, whether they may have never competed in a rodeo or not, they need, they need to support rodeo... And the Western industry just has to have the Western industry's back, period. And if if that if that's not the case, I worry about it. Mm-hmm. You know, not that you've never you've never been keen on going to jackpots every day of the week, like oh yeah, like a lot of the young headers do right now. Do you feel like right now with the sport has gotten so fast? I've always been horse-driven more than entry-driven, mm-hmm. is why I would say that, as far as the jackpot scenarios. I find it hard to spend the time that I spend on horses, making them the way they are, and then taking them to a $1,500 jackpot. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I feel like that I've created an animal that's as good as there is out there. I want him to be displayed on those great ropings or the higher level you know not not taking runs out of him or dulling him or getting him quick because they're just as tough mm-hmm. if not tougher and then you show up at the big ones with less horse than you had before you started that week of jackpot do you think that that theory will hold true though like i mean i just think like the american got so fast, and not that you couldn't have been three six if you needed to be three six, and like San I, Angelo. There's no, there no doubt in my mind uh, that we could have been three. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a three second setup. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like I, I go to these rodeos like, and that's that's something that the young guys need to know is guys rope great everywhere, but. I've seen five-second ropings that were tougher than three-second ropings. Mm -hmm. So don't get caught up in times Mm -hmm. because there's always a reason for it. But granted, it's always tough. But just because they're roping them in three doesn't mean it's any harder than it is when it's four because it's the same guys. I guess the guys that are jackpotting like the, and I won't use this word just as an example, like the, the Cody Snows of the world, the... The triggers that uh-huh. that doesn't miss a jackpot. The Luke Browns, they say that it used to be the same teams were winning mm-hmm. every time, mm-hmm. and now it is just so diverse. And if you don't catch all five steers and catch them and go at every single one of the five steers, yes. does a part of you ever feel like you you would want to go do that? Mm. 
I mean, I can't physically do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've got to practice the other events at some time. I'm spread too thin. It doesn't happen, yeah. Yeah, I'm spread too thin. Yeah. Um. But I do. I think it makes them sharp. Um, as long as you don't get running, just running stairs to run stairs. I mean, you got to be able to. I'm I'm not the same mm-hmm. at a fifteen hundred dollar jackpot as I am at a BFI. I, don't, I mean, really? Some people may look at that as a negative, but I'm I'm not because I'm. I'm not going to sacrifice. If I feel something, my horse is doing a freeze cheat, and I'm not going to let it happen mm-hmm. at a fifteen hundred dollar jackpot. So that's probably one of my weaknesses. I guess how rare are Boogie and Banker? How rare have they been to your career or in your career? <clears throat> I've been blessed. Everybody says, you know, if you get that one horse, and I've had him several times in several events, mm-hmm. but. I look for it nonstop, and I've made horses that weren't that horse to somebody else become that horse. So I really feel like with the lack of horsemanship, I feel that one horse theory mm-hmm. may be in effect. But if you have a way of making, you know, just the same way leaders make people better, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta you got to make a... A good horse, a great horse, that's that's a quality that will take you a long way in this sport. Um, horsemanship-wise, who was your greatest influence horsemanship-wise, or did you just pull something from everybody? Well, I did, but I think that's probably, you know, I look back at growing up, like the last thing we did about, like, not having an arena. You can't really be an introvert when you don't have an arena because, <laughs> I mean, you got to get out and you got to go rope. I worked for a horse trainer during that time for a couple years there and I remember loping horses at the world show at golly early mm-hmm. and just seeing people and see what they do but I worked for Jess Elrod and he taught me a lot he taught me you know to that you could ride with something other than your the reins you know and I learned to use my feet and that's probably been the biggest part of the turning point in my horsemanship was my dad always had good horses, but I really learned how to use my feet, and it felt like I had control of the full horse versus just from his shoulders forward. What is your grade? And then I learned horsemanship from Tommy Blessing. We trained steer horses. It's mm-hmm. a completely different um, discipline, you know, because everything is so slow and everything is on confidence, and because there's no horse other than a steer horse that I can think of that, I mean, you just, at times, your life is in their hands, and there's no neck rope or keeper, as anybody that's ever roped calves know, to keep, keep a horse looking down the rope so they don't run off. I mean, the steer roping horse has every reason to run off, and just by being 100% confident in their rider and their job mm-hmm. and fully trained is why they don't. And Barney has been the best tripping horse you've ever had? He's been a good one. He was a sorry sucker when I got him. He would always run off. Really? Oh, my gosh. Where did he come from? Jim Ward. I mean, he was a good horse, obviously. Right? Mm-hmm. I never bought him, but, man, there was a lot of times where we could not get on the same page. <laughs> um, was there, like, a breakthrough? or? Yeah, when he got about 20. <laughs> no, he's 20 now, but, no, he ha- he has been. But, I, I mean, like, when they get rodeo smart, it's just hard. And 
like to be consistent enough and never just like kids you I mean you can't do it mad mm-hmm. you have to just like do it consistently and uh he fi- finally got it because it was like no matter what you know yeah did he um you can ha- he's a great head horse too right i think i won penalty on him penalty yeah. that's what i thought yeah and i've taken him to the nfr for a backup horse mm-hmm. before he never gets to see the lights but mm-hmm. do you worry about papers very much uh i would way rather take my chances on what i see and what i feel versus what i read but i mean it's it's fun i enjoy it i think it's hard to really understand horses and it's it's just another facet of it mm-hmm. that takes you that much deeper in horsemanship to know you know what crosses consistently work and what i mean there's freaks and everything but i mean like you it's just like anything you play the odds on papers yeah um what do you think is missing in like what are what are the biggest elements missing in horsemanship in at every level both at the amateur level and amongst guys on the road i guess it's because i've done all the events that i've done i felt like the furthest the team roping industries come is in the equipment Mm -hmm. because when i started man there was such a void and that's why most of my products were geared towards team ropers because they needed the most help Mm -hmm. you know and i just just quality equipment something that's if you were a team roper and you happen to be traveling with tie down ropers or steer ropers or any any other discipline that you wouldn't be embarrassed of your stuff and the fact of the matter is a lot of them just needed to be educated enough to be embarrassed of the current equipment that they had and i feel like that's what i've tried to do with my products is give people the confidence that wherever they went like they had the right stuff Mm -hmm. and confidence is a lot of it and in your equipment and your horses everything you don't have a bit line, do you? No. Relentless bit line? No, and I, and I really have... I've, I've thought about developing a bit line because I'm a bit tack, everything. I've always just been a fan of that stuff and fan of the, the great bit makers and stuff. And so I have them, and so I would love to take them to public, and, and I may someday, but I just... I've had bits built by the same guy that have the same numbers stamped on them that don't feel the same in my hand and so it's just really hard but if I ever found the right bit or the right collection that I thought this is six bits that every person needs to have as a starter kit you know I I would probably I think there's a would be a need for that but it would just have to sure enough be for someone to invest into, like, a tack room of bits, that it would have to be exactly what I think you need from point A to point B that kind of covers the full gamut of what I use. I would see that as, like, the hardest thing you would ever do, though, just because I've been in your tack room and I can see all your bits, like, if you had to give up mm-hmm. using certain bits. I know, but, like, I don't care who they are. I don't care how, what discipline they come from. You know, and what a bit fan they are like me. You look at them on a daily basis, 
they've got their go-tos. They got their, if I'm in a jam or if somebody's here and I want to show this one off or something, but they've got, and that's a, that's a, a lot of it. People got to realize like people learn to ride a bit as much as a horse learns to, to take it. And so if I ride bit X, well, I'll find that most horses like bit X that I ride, you mm -hmm. know, because I've learned kind of how to, yeah. my, and, and that's part of it as, as much as pride would want you to tell you, no, it's just whatever the horse likes because you're giving signals to that horse. And it's, it's really important that you understand the bit. And I would rather a guy that really understood a chain bit would ride that versus try to ride whatever the previous owner rode on him because I think that's the biggest thing is sending consistent signals to horses. Gotcha. Um, have you ever fallen off? Yeah. Not in, like, like I, in a situation. Like, I know you roped yourself the NFR one time. I was riding when I fell off. <laughs> have you ever? <laughs> What's the most embarrassing fall off? You, Junior fell off being 3'3". Three, three. Have you ever fallen off, like, at Cheyenne or on a big stage? No, that was Travis. <laughs> yeah, that was Travis. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean, I fell off at the BFI. You did? Yeah. What were the, what were the circumstances? I don't, when was that? It was a dirty rank horse and <laughs> bad weather. And I figurated a front leg, and I fished it to the bitter end. And when I say the bitter end, I mean the bitter end. And <laughs> the horse went this way, and I went that way. And it was, it was the gentlest, sweetest horse you could have ever had. But, it, I mean, he didn't want to hit the wall. Neither did I, but... Mm -hmm. Last question. But just like that. What? I had people come up and just say, man, that inspired me. And it's <laughs> embarrassing as it was for me. I mean, like, it really made people feel okay that similar stuff had happened to them. Mm -hmm. And you never gave up. Yeah. I mean, you fell off and you looked like an idiot, but you never gave up. You were trying to get it out, at you know. And I was like, you know, you never know how people are going to react to stuff. But uh, then I had to speak to him and say, you know what, I just told just told somebody this is the best cowboy in the PRCA right now, and then you go and fall off, and how's that making us look, you know? But, I mean, all of those reactions came from that. But one thing I have learned about falling off is I don't make fun of anybody that falls off because it can happen to anybody at any time. Social media. Love it, hate it, good for the sport, bad for the sport. What's the... We're about a decade into social media being a thing. This is not new? Mm-mm. Man, it feels so new to me. I got so many. going to have social media. I got so many mixed views on social media. It's a necessary evil, but not always an evil. I mean, there's good things to it. There's educational things, and just like everything else, I'm, I feel like moderation's a huge part of it. But I was always from the school of... If you do it in the arena long enough, people will find out about it. Not the case anymore, and it's hard to to get my head wrapped around that because young guys will be like, well, what do you think about, do I need to be posting this and posting that? Or I was like, number one, you don't need to be asking me for social media advice. <laughs> and number two, I think you need to be roping this and roping that instead <laughs> of posting this and posting that. But I'm not always right, and I've had to 
definitely open up to the social media part of it, and I have to justify it by this is how I have to educate now. Mm. You know, if I'm going to help people, this is how they're going to see them. I, I don't. I only get to see, you know, a handful of people at clinics, mm-hmm. and if I put a tip out there, it has a potential to help so many more people than I could have done in 10 years of roping mm-hmm. schools. Well, that is it for our conversation with Mr. Brazil. Trevor, thank you very much for your time. And everybody, let me know what you thought of this conversation. Let me know what we can do better and maybe even some questions to ask. You can email me at cshafer at aimmedia.com or message us on our Facebook page or Instagram. We would love to hear from you. Hey, before you go, leave us a rating on iTunes. Leave us a review. Let the world know what you think. That helps more people find us on iTunes. And give us a shout-out. Share it with your friends so more people can know about the score, can talk team roping, and hopefully help push this industry even further forward. Thank you all.